as aspects of parenting that have been sorely abused or missed altogether by our culture or even mocked by our society. A number of years ago, I recall we had sort of a, a mixed a group of parents in the church and there were two movements that were very much alive at the time. One was called Growing Kids God's Way and the other was, I forget the name of the movement, but I remember Dr. Sears was one of the people that was behind it. And they were basically at opposite poles when it came to the way you would deal with a child. For instance, if a child cries out and continues to cry out, the Dr. Sears approach would be to immediately go and hold that child and comfort that child. The growing kids God's way approach is they need to learn early on that they're not the center of the universe and, and you go and you just, uh, you don't bother at all with their crying. And of course people would obviously uh, tend to latch on to whichever a form or method seemed to work best for them. The problem was, is with all of these movements, there's always a, in my opinion, there tends to be a lack of balance. We're emphasizing some good things, but at the same time we're neglecting maybe some other things. And furthermore, it tends to create a cookie-cutter approach that doesn't work with all children. Every child's different. Every child is special. And we need to recognize those differences and uniquenesses. This morning I'd like to ask you to consider another parenting style that should be the standard by which all other parenting styles are measured. A parenting style that has as its product the infinite wisdom of God. God the Father is not called the Father because He chose a title that we could warm up to. That's what some people think. He is referred to as the Father because He is the ultimate parent. A parent who is more tender and more merciful than any mother. A parent who is more patient and wise than any human father. There is much that can be said about parenting style of our Heavenly Father. What I've done this morning is I've selected six things that I think would be helpful to highlight for you and for me. Six things that I think will help us to be better parents, better grandparents, I'm hopeful, and better great-grandparents. First, make sure your child is secure and sure. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity of taking a six-day cruise down the, what they call the Mexican Riviera, with my folks. It was a time when, this is the way my folks like to spend time with us. It's a nice way to spend time with your family. While I was there, I had the chance to read some books, and one of the books I read was a book written by Bob Wilkin, who many of you know as the head of the Grace Evangelical Society, and the book is called Secure and Sure. Let me just suggest to you, this is an outstanding book. An outstanding book, and I would recommend you get it. It's one that you could use in a Bible study context, but it's certainly worth just reading on your own. I think it will greatly encourage your Christian life and give you some helpful things that you could even use in your home with your own family. Now, from the very beginning, and that's where I got the title from, from the very beginning of our Christian life, there's one thing that is drilled into every Christian, every Christian heart, or the heart of every child of God, who reads the words of God, and that is, we are secure. We are secure. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And this is the testimony. In 1 John 5 we read, 
that God the Father has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Period. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Furthermore, from the first moment of our Christian life, we were sure that we had eternal life. You know why I know that? Because when you believed, if you really didn't, if you really weren't sure you had eternal life, you didn't believe. When Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. If you believe that, and you believe in him, then you would say, I have eternal life. I'm sure of it, because I believe what Jesus said. In John 3.16, it says, For God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does he mean by everlasting life? Life that will never end, of course. But it's spelled out even more clearly in John eleven twenty five and 26, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he adds, do you believe this? If you believe this, then you're sure you have eternal life. To possess eternal life, God's life, to know that we will never die spiritually, and to know that if we do die physically, we will be raised again from the dead, is to be sure of all this, is to be sure that we have eternal life. And it is characteristic of a healthy child of God to be sure they have eternal life. If they aren't sure at this point in their Christian life, they aren't healthy. They may have been healthy to begin with. Obviously, they were when they believed. But somehow they've come along and they aren't sure any longer. Something or someone has eroded their confidence that they're God's children. A child of God, when he hears the words, or she hears the words of God, where it says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Doesn't that throw your heart? We're talking about children this morning. And God wants us to know we're His children. It's fundamental to our Christian life to know we are His children, to be sure of it. It was a confidence picked up by God's children early on in our, the history of the church where we read, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The term Abba, Father there is the Aramaic term for father, but a, the term that they would have used in that culture that might be more equivalent to our term, Dad. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, parents, we can learn a lot from our Heavenly Father's example here. That the first and most important thing our children must have to develop healthy lives is they must be secure and sure. From day one, we need to assure them that they are our children. And that nothing will ever change that, no matter what happens. They need to feel this from our, every time we embrace them. And they need to hear it over and over again from our lips. You're my child. I love you. Nothing will ever change that. Never, ever, and I seldom would ever use those words, Never, ever, in the heat of the moment, never let them think that you would or could disown them or deny them or let them think that they could be cast out of your family. Never make them feel like they have to prove 
that they are your children to really be your children. I know none of us would ever probably dream of telling our children that we might disown them. But sometimes in the way we act, we send a very subtle message to them that you're my child because of what you do, not because of who you are. It's a parental failure that I think that many of us have been guilty of. When your older son hits a home run in a little league game, and dad cries out, that's my boy! What does that say to that son? And what does it say to the other son, the second-born son, who's a little more of a nerd than a jock? It certainly doesn't breed a sense of security. Rather, it breeds a sense that you're secure as long as you perform. I remember in my son's early childhood, he got involved in soccer. <sighs> anyhow, I said, I hope, that, I hope that we can pick another sport down the road, but anyhow, we're going to go with this. And right now, I just told my wife that in private. I didn't want him to know that. But in any case, we, get, we went to the soccer games, and I watched my son. And of course, you hear the parents out there. They're cheering like crazy. Kick the ball. Kick the ball. What's wrong with you? Kick the ball. Do this. Do that. And they're yelling and screaming and carrying on. And I remember my son went over and a kid missed the goal. He kicked the ball. He had a straight shot. The goalie was way out of position. And he missed it. And, and you could hear the boos or the hisses, you know, under the breath, you know. And my son went over and said to him, you know, great job. You tried. You really did well. And tried to encourage him. And later when I saw my son, I said, you know, the most important thing I got from that game is I watched you take care of that kid and share with him some compassion. Craig, I'm really proud of you for that. That's what counts. Friends, that's what our kids, and I'm not bragging on myself here because I tell you, I've been on the other side of the fence too doing the wrong things, but that's what our kids need to hear. They need to hear us praise them for things that are done that reveal character, not ability. Kids are so different. One kid could hit home runs until the chickens come home, and another kid could pick up a bat and work all day long in a batter's cage and couldn't hit the ball. So What? We're not, for the most part, we're not preparing professional baseball players. We're preparing our children for the world. And what they need desperately is character. They need the ability to get along with people. We need to value diversity in our children. Do not look for your abilities or your strengths in your children, but look for their abilities and their strengths and their interests and affirm them and encourage them to go in the direction that best fits them. Each one of our children is unique, just like each one of us is unique in God's family. People kid with me all the time and said, oh, when, they, when the Lord made you, he threw away the mold. Now, I know they sort of mean that in the negative sense. But in reality, it's true. But you know it's true of them as well, and it's true of each one of you. There are no two of us that are alike. Lastly, tell them to call you mom and dad. Tell them to call you mom and dad. You say, well, I already do that, obviously, Pastor. What's the point here? Well, it's this. Help them to understand that these names, mom and dad, have special, suggest and teach a special relationship to you and a special access to you that other children do not have. These names mean that you will always be there for them. When they say mom or they say dad, it's saying clearly, you will be there for them and they know you will be there for them no matter what. That's the heart of security, just as we would call God, Abba, Father, even when they're in trouble, trouble of their own making, 
When they call you mom or dad, you'll be there for them, no matter what. Oh, how we should honor, not pity, the mother who moved closer to the state prison so she could visit her son on the weekends. This is what it means to be called mom or dad. Because when everyone else will desert you, your mom and your dad will be there. That's security. And that's what our children need to be absolutely sure of from the day one. Like a child of God that cries out in the midst of trouble, Abba, Father, Oh, Father. It's a reminder that the Father will never leave us or forsake our chil- His children, including us. Even when we, like David, would commit murder and adultery, the worst of sins, He will not leave us or forsake us. That doesn't mean that there aren't terrible, horrible consequences to these terrible sins and failures. David paid dearly, as any Christian would pay dearly for such a horrendous sin. But our Heavenly Father will never, ever leave us or forsake us. Just as He never forsook David. Second, compel your child to value relationships. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men and women their trespasses, neither will your Father, Heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. This is, of course, coming off of last week's message, and I don't want to belabor it. I would suggest if you didn't hear it that you get a copy of it. Nevertheless, just as the Father values fellowship with His children and teaches us, His children, to confess our sins and our wrongs to Him, that we might be forgiven and experience fellowship again with Him, Likewise, we need to teach our children to confess their sins and their wrongs, that they might know our forgiveness and experience close fellowship with us again. You must be, if you're an adult here, you look back on your childhood, you can think of times when your mom and dad were just unhappy with you. Unhappy with me for things I said or things I did. And I could march off and smugness and just ignore the fact that mom was upset. But eventually it got to me. And I wanted a right relationship with my mom or my dad. And I knew what I had to do was to go and say, Mom, I did wrong. Forgive me. Parents, do not let your children get off by saying... I'm sorry. Or some of them might say, sorry. It's clear it trivializes the pain that they have caused you or caused others. They need to admit they did wrong and ask you or the person they offended to forgive them. And they need to admit exactly what they did wrong. And you know how you do that? You teach them that when they're two years old, not when they're 12 years old. You've got to start early on this one. Furthermore, teach your children that it's important to forgive when somebody wrongs them or their brother or sister wrongs them or when you wrong them. They need to forgive. Which means to remove the sin and the wrong that is hindering the relationship Forgiveness restores relationships. It restores fellowship in the, in the Scriptures. And like God, we should not forgive our children if they refuse to forgive others that have wronged them. If my child says, I won't forgive him for doing that, well, fine. As long as you remain with that attitude, you and I are not on talking terms either. Close talking terms. 
until you get your act together and you acknowledge that they have asked you to forgive them and you go up there and you're able to be their friend and play with them again and enjoy being their friend again, our relationship isn't going to be what it should be because that's exactly what God does with us. If we don't forgive others, friends don't count on having a close relationship with God. It has nothing to do with whether we go to hell or not. But it has everything to do with whether we enjoy our friendship with God or not. I'd like to make a, uh, give a word here to the wise. What will undo this teaching more than anything else, or reinforce it more than anything else, is our own willingness, mom and dad, to admit that we were wrong. And to confess our sins. And ask others to forgive us, even our children. And I know a lot of parents won't do that. Particularly with their children. You see, dad is never wrong. Dad always does the right thing. He always says the right thing. Don't ever challenge it. Even if everyone knows he's wrong, he's still right. And if he has that attitude, let me tell you something. His kids will never be wrong. You can talk to them till they're blue in the face. They'll never be wrong. If mom won't let go of something she has between herself and another person, neither will her children let go of something between them and their friends. Some people hang on to things for a long time. And you wonder, well, if that's how you deal with people, that's how you deal with people. Friends, parents, make sure your kids know that relationships matter. When there is a problem in the relationship, do not drop the relationship. This is the way we solve problems today. I have a problem with somebody, okay, wash my hands of that person, I'm done with them. I go to church, somebody doesn't speak to me correctly, or somebody ignores me, or something is said that offends me, wash my hands, I'm out of there, let's go to the next church. That's the mindset we have today. Friends, relationships should count. They're the riches of God, by the way, in Scripture. Riches that He gives to all His children are friendships, relationships that last. Don't treat them with contempt. When there's a problem in a relationship, don't drop the relationship, but go and do what is necessary to get the relationship back on the right footing. Work things out and teach your children, by your example as well as by encouragement, that that's the way you do things. You value your friendships. and Teach them that early. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Your Father in heaven is merciful. Good advice. Third, give your child an education. As we've seen in the past... The abundant use of words in the scripture like know and understand and mind as in mind the things of the spirit or be renewed by the renewing or be able by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a tremendous emphasis in the word of God on education, on learning, on knowing things. An education was something Jesus and all his humanity received from his father. Many of us don't realize that, but listen to the words of Jesus. But as my father taught me, I speak these things. Another passage that says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. The Bible also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Another passage says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Paul prays for the children of God in the, the Christian church at Ephesus when he says that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. 
Most of us value education. And we should. And we'll go to extremes to make sure that our children get the best education we can afford. But by education, what do we mean? Reading, writing, arithmetic. Math, science, social studies, and so on. And as a result, most children today, including Christian children, are deprived of a first-rate education of their spirit. A spiritual education. A spiritual education of a child begins with the fear of God. Children need to understand early on that they are not the center of the universe. That God does not revolve around them, but they revolve around God. And that, they are, and that if they are not in harmony with God's thoughts and God's purposes and God's commandments and God's ways of doing things, then they will experience serious trouble in their lives. They need to know that. To accomplish this, parents need to encourage their children toward lives that are lived in harmony with God's principles for life. And when children are living and thinking and acting in ways that please God, that's the time to heap the praise on them. The generous praise upon them. How like the world of parenting today, where you get the Christmas letters, you know those come every year. And it's almost like it's a, a rendition. Well, Johnny got five A's in school this past semester. And Sally was at the head of her gymnastics class. And Barbara had a piano recital and was awarded the most outstanding pianist. Merry Christmas. I wonder if people ever stop to think about how these things sound. I was in a Bible study once and some men were sitting around talking about the Bible study and they began to talk about another person in the study that I sort of took up that person's defense and they were saying, in essence, that it seems like that every time a question is asked in the Bible study, this person comes on and talks about his children. How great they are. It gets old. I think all of us cut people some slack. And we know that people should be happy that their child is succeeding by the world standards, I suppose. But in reality, most of us would rather see than be told what children are doing. I often marvel at the parent who comes up and talks about another child in the church and how respectful they are or something about their character. To me, that is an award that is super outstanding. When other parents and other people in a church notice a child's character and somehow that gets back to a parent, there's nothing that should make us beam more as parents than that. Accomplishments and performance are not what's at stake when it comes to our children's spiritual education. What's at stake are attitudes, character, and a child's thoughts, which can either become him or her or betray him or her. A spiritual education of a child continues with the knowledge of God, with the study of God. You know what that's called? Theology. And most of us in churches today, particularly in Southern California, think that word is sinful. It's like a four-letter word, only it's seven letters. Or eight letters. Nine letters. No, eight letters. But the point is, what is it about theology that makes people, turns them off so much? I don't get it. Why don't we have math, science, theology? The study of God. That's what the word theology means. Is there any greater study for our children to pursue than the study of God? I've been talking with Dan about trying to work into our youth program at least half a year or a quarter of a year where we just devote the curriculum to teaching them about God. Our children don't know anything. 
It needs to be inculcated into their minds at a young age. They need to know God. They need to understand His ways. They need to learn what pleases Him. However, if dad and mom don't have a heart for God and never show much interest in learning about God and seldom ever ask questions about, about spiritual things, then it's likely that their children will follow their example. As a pastor, I was thrilled this year to see so many of you take the theology class that I offer. That encourages my heart. I would caution you about memorization of Scripture, which is a wonderful thing that we emphasize in Awana and other programs in the church. Memorization of Scripture is wonderful, but it always must be coupled to understanding what we're memorizing. In fact, the best way to memorize something, I believe, is to understand it and to organize its subject matter, its, its teaching in our minds, and then we'll remember it much easier. And we need to do that for our children. Lastly, a good spiritual education gives a child a future. Gives a child a future, a future full of potential, spiritual potential. Most Christian parents want and work hard to make sure their children understand the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They want them to know that Jesus died for our sins, that He rose again from the dead, and that He offers eternal life to all who believe in Him. And when their children finally come to a point where they say, Mom and Dad, I believe in Jesus, parents' hearts jump a beat, and they should. That's, that's very crucial to a child's spiritual development. They need to know that they possess the life of God forever, and that one day they will go and live with God the Father in the Father's house. But they also need to know that their future with the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ can be full of words of praise for a life well lived. It can be full of rewards beyond their wildest dreams. It can be full of privilege in being able to reign with Christ in His kingdom. It can be full of opportunity in inheriting the from Him and with Him, that is Jesus, the wealth of the world to come. All of these things are held out as part of the future of the Christian. And we need to be communicating these things to our children. We need to be getting beyond the fact that we think of these things as sort of basic, but we need to see them as fundamental to life itself. This isn't a point of theological argument. It should be fundamental to our spiritual life. Our, needed, our children need to hear all about this from an early age. And they need to hear it over and over and over again. We talk about our personal hopes for our children. We talk about someday we want them to go to college. We want them to get married, marry the right person. We talk about their maybe one day having a home in Orange County or whatever. But shouldn't these things, our future hope, our future opportunities as Christians, shouldn't these be at the top of the hope chest that we give our children? Really? If we really believe it? I believe parents would do well to follow the example of our Heavenly Father. And that is, early on, you know, parents, kids hear about inheritance. They get to be seven, eight years old. And you can sit down and say with them, I don't know that I'll accumulate much wealth over my lifetime, but whatever I accumulate is reserved as an inheritance for you. For both of you. That's what we told our children. However, to possess that inheritance, we're going to need to see a life of character, a life of quality, as God measures these things. We want to know that you have the ability and the character to handle whatever wealth, be it meager or great, that God may entrust to us and ultimately to you. And if you are not trustworthy... If you don't have character, if you haven't proven yourself faithful, then your inheritance will be controlled by someone else who has demonstrated character and ability to faithfully handle your inheritance. And it will be dribbled out to you as needed to sustain your life. But you won't control it. That is the message that God sends to us why shouldn't we send it to our children? I ask you that. 
Instead, we tell our children, it's all split up, half and half, whatever. Sure, half and half, if you've got two children, each children gets a half. It's reserved for them, but they don't get it unless they prove that they are worthy of it. And they prove their character and their faithfulness. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, we are told, but a child learns to fear God by first fearing his or her parents. You say, oh, fear my parents? You want your children to fear you? Well, certainly. And that takes us to the next point, which I don't have time to, to go in with at this moment. The discipline of children. We need to discipline our children. And there are things that we can learn about discipline, and I encourage you to take the passage there in Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 14. And put a lot of emphasis on discipline. And parents, be on notice that older adults, it's not that we don't like children. It's the fact that when we're around children, so many children are just not disciplined. Fifth, teach your children, your child, to be grateful. To be appreciative. Jesus, the Son of God, was filled with Gratitude. We read in Luke, in the hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. When he broke the bread at the communion supper, he said, I thank you. I give thanks for these emblems of my death. Furthermore, giving thanks is something we, as God's children, are taught to do by our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 5 says, Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks, uh, Colossians 1, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And whatever we do in word or we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let us offer to God continually the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, the fruit of our lips. I've said this often, but it's worth repeating. There is nothing more refreshing as someone who is full of gratitude. This is especially true of children. But it's so unusual. To find a child that's truly grateful is a very unusual thing. And yet when you find it, what a joy it is. I'm closing here with someone that... I've come to love and value over the years. I've known Yvonne Nolisti for 23 years. Yvonne is a pastor from Haiti. I met him in Haiti in 1982 when I was there on a missions trip. I was impressed by his character. Something said to me, this man is real. He's not phony. Over those years, I've had the privilege of having him here. We've had his family here. They've lived here for a period of time. I don't know, what was it, six months or something of that nature, a year that you lived here, uh, right behind the church in a trailer that we put together for them. And you get to know their kids. And the one thing that I've noticed about Yvonne to begin with is he has no pretense, he's the real deal. When he came here, he immediately related to us. Now, he's coming from a, a third world country that is poorer than poor. Now, you would come into a country like this, and you would think that Yvonne would come with a degree of envy, feelings of, of, of wanting to, wishing I had all this. You never picked up on that. Yvonne was a man full of gratitude. And it just oozed from him. Grateful for everything. We'd sit down to have dinner and he'd pray and thank God for the food and pray for those who were starving in Haiti and had nothing to eat. Over the years I've gotten to know his children and they are full of gratitude. The one thing that stands out about them is they're smiling and they're happy and they're grateful. And yet they live in a situation that is far lower than most of us, even the poorest of us, would experience. When they come here, I don't sense that they're eyeballing us saying, I wish I had that, I wish I had that, I wish I had that. Like we do with each other. 
I'm impressed. And therefore, I'd like Yvonne to come up here and just tell you what it is that enabled him to teach his children to be grateful. How did you teach him to be grateful? Yvonne? Got the mic there. Christ, I went to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, sorry, I cannot find the word which is deep and big enough to express my gratitude toward each one of you and toward God. I just want to tell you, I praise God for my children, for the way they are grateful. And um, first of all, I teach them by prayer. I tell them it is very important to draw closer, closer to God, to praise Him, to worship Him, to adore Him. And I figure out they are really grateful. For instance, may I tell you concerning Coast Bible Church, they keep talking about Coast Bible Church. They keep talking about everything, the way you get involved in helping us. They believe, they are convicted, they are persuaded. They are members of this church. All the time, they keep praising God, praying God for Coast Bible Church. And I praise God for that. For instance, right now, if I would have time to citing the names of people, each one of you, who is standing on our side. Five minutes. <laughs> one hour will be not, not enough, right? Because we have a lot of time together, the way you are standing on our side. My children, they keep thinking and talking and speaking about you. And I teach them, you know, about prayer. When they go to God, that means... Not a question of communicating only with God, but they are depending upon God. So, the gratitude toward God and toward people who are standing on the side to help them. And I praise God for the way, you know, when Paul saying to, to Thessalonians people, Christian, pray without ceasing. And I realize. You know, when I teach them how they need to depend upon God, and then how they should be, uh, they should be thankful and grateful toward people who are standing on the side, and they believe it. This is this is what they do. This is what they. It's not a question of fake. You know, this is something which is real and genuine. And for instance, when I was thinking about the trailer we got, man, when we were, we were in that place. Rats running all over. Rats eating, you know, what we had, you know, you know, the food, even our dresses, everything, you know, clothes. But the way God using you to help us, we cannot forget about. We just can't keep from thinking about it. Man, each one of you, I would have. I'm sorry, we don't have time to say, you, 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 you. Each one of you here, we appreciate it. We are thankful. And we teach them only, not only in the family, the way they should, uh, we should pray, preach, preach, um, um, read the word of God. Like when we read in Deuteronomy, I don't know, because in French language you say Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. But in English you say Deuteronomy, right? Do you understand what I mean? I don't speak in, in another language. Okay, Deuteronomy. I said 6, verse 6. The Jewish people had a responsibility to teach the children the word of God. Not only to teach them about the word of God, but to, to, to tie in the hands, the footlets, on the, on the porch, everywhere. So, I praise God for the way God used our children. They are grateful. They are thankful. They praise God for everything. I must tell you the truth. Sometimes they encourage me. To say, Dad, God is so powerful. When we have relationship with our God, our greatest El, uh, God, El, El, Elohim Bara, God, Elohim, God, El Shaddai, Almighty God, El, 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 El,
God and all am. From everlasting to everlasting is God. Man, he's our God. He's our Father. When we have fellowship with him, we can speak to him. Are you not happy? To have just such one devil God who holds the whole world in his hands, who holds you in his hand. So we are grateful, we are thankful to have God as our dad. We can talk to him, we can go in prayer. I praise God for that. I not only ask them, teach them to pray God, to be thankful and grateful. I teach them to also to depend upon God even for the ministry. When you go to prayer, we go to pray before you go to get involved in the ministry to pray God. To this belongs to God. So, when we have something to do, you say, we have to support to go to God. This is your work, this is your church, this is your ministry. And then they learn it. May I tell you what happened? Last year, we, we held, you know, CBC. You know, CBC stands, you know, um, um, like we call, you know, when you have, you know, Bible studies for the kids. Vacation, VBC. Vacation Bible School for the kids in the summer. And then, Melinda, she, they were praying. They were praying. We said, God, the kids, the kids were rebellious. They didn't want to sit down to listen to the word of God. And they were engaged in prayer. Junior, Melinda, Luther, they were engaged in prayer. They went to God. The, the way those kids are acting. You know what happened? The last days of vacation Bible school, she was leading the meeting. She made a circle in the big lines. The kids holding each other's hands. And they were praying, praying, praying. You know what, what, what happened? Finally, she said, if there is somebody here who has a problem with another one, I ask you to go and make things straight. I saw kids shedding tears. They left, left the... Embracing. And I, I saw tears shedding down. And then they keep, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And after a while, 21 kids accept Jesus Christ for their personal Savior. I was there praying with them. They accepted Jesus because she went to prayer. Couple Sundays ago, before I came here, there was something in, in Bibles like like a Sunday school. They got there. She, they kept praying every Sunday. She go to church from five o'clock. They go there to pray before started. You know, with Sunday school. You know, they go to God. They stand. You know what happened? Nine kids. Came in front. See, they could accept Jesus Christ for their personal Savior. I pray with them. Because she went to God. Important. I can stand here and give a good message. I can, you can give me 100%. Great. But if the power of Holy Spirit, His God is not behind it, nothing will work, right? Do you believe it? I believe it too. So we need to pray. We need to depend upon God. The, this is the same thing when you have your children. For instance, if they don't speak to you, okay, you miss something, you know. I heard somebody is talking, I, I want my kids to speak to me, you know. Because you want a, a relationship, you want fe- fellowship. This is the same thing. When we don't go to prayer, you know, to God, that means, God, I, am, I can do what I can. I don't need you. But when you go to prayer, you depend. Depend upon him. He's the one who's going to make things work out. You know, to work things out for you. So I praise God. I am thankful and grateful for the way my case, God is using them. Just a word, may I tell you. I went to Miami First Baptist Church. And I went there. I preached eight days conference. This, the eighth day, the prophet, he was talking about my family. I didn't say, say a word to him. He told the congregation, this family is special. He was saying that. Eight days later, there was another pastor who came to our church pushing for us. <laughs> Melinda was leading the meeting. And then, after a while, when I went to introduce the pastor, he told me about that young lady who was leading the meeting. And then I said, she is my daughter. 
And then she was, man, when the pastor, the message, before he started preaching, he said, I tell you, this family, this family is good example. I, I can steal them from you. <laughs> I scared can steal them. So I give thanks and praise to God. Right? Because if they weren't doing it. So Coast Bible Church members, I praise God. It's not only your own family, my family, but we praise God for the church family. This is a family from the, throughout the world. Each one of us who accepts Jesus Christ for our personal savior, we become family members of God, family, families of God. We become members of this family. What great was, what day that will be? At the sound of the trumpet, all those people who, each one of us who accepts Jesus Christ for our personal savior, will go to heaven. Meet together with Jesus Christ. Meeting in the air. Meeting in the air. I just want to, to thank you again and again, over and over. I am so proud. I am so proud to be a member of you, the church, and my kids, my family. They keep praying for you. Sometimes even when we're traveling in highways, expressway, I keep citing your names, praying for you. May God bless you. May God bless you. Because it's not enough. He's way after me. sixth point, pray with them. It ties to the fifth point, which is teach them to be grateful. Pray with them. If Jesus can pray to the Father in John 17, certainly we need to pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had today to hear your word, to celebrate the victory that our Savior has won on our behalf, to recognize the the needs of parents As we raise our children, Lord, it's with fear and trembling that we come before you knowing that we have an awesome responsibility as parents. And we pray for the the dear parents that you've given to our church and even those in particular that will be dedicating their children this morning. Help them, Father. Help them. They're all unique. They have unique needs. I pray that you'd reach out and minister to each family, each set of parents. Strengthen them for the days ahead. In Jesus' precious name. At this time, we'd like to uh, invite those of you that are parents planning to dedicate your children. If you would go to the nursery and pick up your kids, your children, and then come down and sit in the front rows. And uncles and aunts and grandparents, if you'll join them down here in the front, if you're going to come up and stand with them, we hope you will. And uh, we'll take just a moment together. Uh, But uh, we'd like for everyone to do that. If for some reason you have an obligation, uh, need to go uh, as a member of the church or as a part of our congregation this morning, feel free to leave at this time. Uh, But we hope you'll stay for this uh, part of our service that uh, we do a couple times a year. And it's something that we really want to encourage people to be a part of. Thank you.